0: Now on KPM 860, the marriage team is at your service.
1: We've only just begun
0: to live. White lace and promises. A kiss for Are more complicated than getting relationships right. And here are marriage coaches Al and Autumn Ray to empower you for a winning marriage.
2: Welcome to Marriage Team. I'm Coach Al and I'm here with Coach Autumn today, and we're glad you're joining us. We've got a great show lined up for you, and today we're going to be talking about the subject of reality living and giving you some practical ideas on how you can apply it to your own life and relationship, specifically your marriage. So, Autumn, What do we have for uh, specifics and how are we going to get started today? Well,
1: we were thinking about all the reality shows that are on TV. I know that you and I have watched some of them. We certainly haven't watched all of them. My goodness, there's more than I can even count. But we've seen The Survivor, Mm. and I know that there's a show The Apprentice and Bachelor and Bachelorette, and people are just fascinated watching the real life of all of these people and how they participate. There's even one um, Dancing with the Stars And that's one that is kind of one of my favorites. I really enjoy watching that. So we were thinking about all the the phenomena of people just intrigued with watching these reality shows. And we thought, well, why don't we talk a little bit about people's real lives that are listening and they live in their own reality. uh, And maybe we can address some of the things that affect them in their own real lives.
2: Well, and it's interesting because we say those are reality shows and in reality, they are staged. We don't identify with them specifically. So it's we live out our reality in somebody else's reality when we have our very own that we can be living out and living it out more effectively than we probably are.
1: That's very true, because <laughs> I know when I watch reality shows, I always go, well, I would do it this way. Or if that, if I were in that situation, this is how I would respond. Um, so you're right. We we're not really in that situation, but we kind of live vicariously.
2: Uh, yes, that's the word. <clears throat> living vicariously. So, the the interesting thing as we look at this, the there's a book by Dr. Gary Chapman called uh, Desperate Marriages, and the information that we're going to be talking about today really comes from his book. And it's interesting because he has identified four myths that I think we can all readily identify with, and we can see that probably at some time in our marriage, in our relationship, we have fell victim to one of these myths. I know certainly that I have. The powerful thing is that that they are myths and that there are principles, and he has just six principles for reality living where you can take control and change the situation so that it's working in your favor as opposed to against you. So, Autumn, what would be uh, one of the four myths that keep us trapped uh, where we are?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, Alan, when you say myth, I mean, that is a falsehood. That is something that is not true. Something that you believe that may not be true. That's what you're talking about when you say a myth, right? Right. Okay. So one of the myths that Gary Chapman identifies is my environment determines my state of mind. Now think about how that might affect a marriage relationship. My environment determines my state of mind. Well, people that believe this to be true probably feel helpless and hopeless, and maybe depressed, if they're ever in an environment that doesn't bring them happiness, or satisfaction, or fulfillment. So if you are one of those people that think your state of mind, or your feelings are determined by your environment, the first thing that Gary wants you to understand is that that's not true. That's a myth. And so we're going to talk about a little bit about how you can overcome those untruths in your life. When I thought about that, I thought about a book I read a long time ago, The Hiding Place, and Corrie Ten Boom was the author of that. You remember that book, Alan? I the, do remember it. Yeah. Very and, powerful. Right. Very powerful because Corrie was um, Dutch, and she was taken captive by the Nazis during... Nope. No. she The Chinese, wasn't it? No. Nope. She was taken captive. I think she was in a Nazi concentration camp. Yeah. And... Um, it showed how, even because she was in that environment, she could have been hopeless, depressed, feeling helpless, like a lot of people are in their environments. But instead of that, she was, in fact, a Christian and began to pray for her captors and and uh, be compassionate for her captors, who certainly had to follow uh, laws and the orders of their commanders, even though they might not have wanted to. So it was really an excellent book on overcoming your environment. Uh, More recently than that, Alan, there was a movie out called Life is Beautiful, and that was very similar. It was about a father who was taken to a concentration camp with his young son, and in order to make life bearable for his young son, he pretended that it was a game. The entire situation was just a game, and it was a very moving movie for any of those who have seen that, but it showed how he overcame his environment And he was able to show his son a different way of looking at the situation and the environment that they were in. So as you think about those things, though, maybe Corey and and the guy in the Life is Beautiful movie were in their environment and they couldn't escape. I mean, they were locked into it. There was no way out. What about people in a marriage relationship in this day and age? Alan, there's always a way out. I mean, people don't realize that those vows they say till death do us part maybe really mean that.
2: Right. It's it's the quick response. It's the uh, instant gratification and I need to be happy now. And consequently, people don't view their situations as something they have to deal with and they look to escape. And I think that really feeds into this. That, um, that we really don't have to live in that environment as opposed to deal with it. So that's excellent.
1: Uh, so what is another one of these myths, Alan?
2: <clears throat> well, the myth is that people cannot change. And if think about that. Think of all the people that you know that have changed. Mm-hmm. Think of the changes that you have made in your own life. I mean, people go back to school to get degrees. They change careers. They um, take actions and they get proactive and they, they change their life. Well, do you
1: think maybe this is meant more, I don't know if it is, I'm just guessing here that maybe people are saying you can't change um, your attitude or your personality or your belief system, more of a marriage relationship kind of a thing. The reason I ask that, Alan, is because I hear so many people on the radio talk show hosts go, "Well, you married the guy, you know, he was a philanthrop- philanderer when you married him. How can you expect him to change?" Or, you know, she was a spendthrift before you married her. You know, of course, she's going to spend all your money now. And people don't change. I hear that a lot.
2: Right, we do hear that, but it simply isn't true. It's a myth, and what it 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 doesn't recognize the power that we have with free choice to make choices about our lives and take a different course of action people recover from addictions they choose to go to alcoholics anonymous they choose to get involved with al anon they make choices that empower them to change their lives because they are tired of living the way that they do i mean people train and uh and become Athletes, they they work at things, they stay focused. Uh, Little kids learn to be Olympic athletes. They change, they, they train their body. So it is a myth. People can change and they can excel. And it's simply a matter of what you put your mind to.
1: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So then the third myth that Gary Chapman presents in his book, Desperate Marriages. In a difficult marriage, I have only two options. Now, I know our listeners know what those two options are. Resigning myself to a life of misery or getting out. And that really says it all in today's world. Those are like the two, thing, two options that anybody can think of in a difficult marriage. Resign yourself to a life of misery or get out of it. Now, remember, folks, we're talking about myths, untruths, falsehood. That is not true. There are other options and other choices that you can make that are your responsibility or your choice And you can change the relationship. That's absolutely true. So I was thinking about a popular TV actress just recently came out and said that she didn't think that people were created to be monogamous. And I think the article said that she said, well, maybe every five years, you know, you'd be out looking for somebody new. Well, can you imagine living like that? And maybe at least with my values and what I think at the end of your life, when you look back on all of these failed relationships, which is what it would look like to me. How would I feel about how I'd lived my life or what kind of children I'd brought into the world and what they have been able to see? And again, you know, that's just a myth.
2: Right, it is. And if you take what she said and you say a person starts that at 20 years and for the next 20 years, every five years they change families, at the by the time they're 40, they have four different families what kind of chaos does that create in your life? I mean, how do you keep all that straight? What example does that give to your children? And how do they look, grow up with any sense of, of uh, stability in their relationship when that's what they were exposed to?
1: And it's a totally selfish way of looking at life. It's all about me and not about anyone else in the world.
2: Yeah, it does not recognize any kind of individual responsibility. That is not true. There are more than two options. And when we when we do come back from our breaks we'll be talking about those options but before we go to break the fourth myth is some situations are hopeless and mine is one of these
1: wow we've seen a lot of people who actually feel like that
2: right but we were just talking about uh Nick Vujicic who is a man with no arms and no legs he was a thumby fl- baby i believe um but in any event he is an inspirational speaker and he goes around Talking and inspiring people with his story, I mean he clearly did not buy into this myth. Joni Tata Erickson is another one a quadriplegic. I think of Christopher Reeves, who um, was Superman and had and became a quadriplegic and yet he was a spokesman and lived a very courageous life as a quadriplegic, setting an example for others. so even situations that we would certainly not wish on anyone happen, and when we look at the examples of people who have dealt with them. They do uh, take the bull by the horn, so to speak. They exercise their free choice, and they turn this situation from being hopeless to being helpful for others and make a difference with their life. I mean, that's an inspiration for me. I don't know about you listeners, but I get inspired when I, when I hear those kind of stories.
1: And even in marriage situations, uh, people we deal with come in and they, they may be in emotionally abusive situations or even physically abusive situations. And they go, oh, this is hopeless. You know, this, this situation will never change. This relationship will never change. But you can be the catalyst to take the first step to change that relationship. We have seen it happen many, many times. Right. So these
2: are, these are all four myths that people typically believe and render them powerless and, and allow them to be victims of their circumstances. So when we come back from break, we're going to share with you the six principles for reality living that give you the power to take control of your marriage and your life.
0: Marriage is right here with Coaches Alan, Autumn Ray, the Marriage Team, on KPAM 860.
1: Okay, you're coming back to Marriage Team after break, and this is Coach Autumn. I'm here with my teammate and also my husband, Coach Al. And we're talking today about reality living. This is where you live in your life. Not like those TV shows that you watch and live vicariously, but this is your life. So we actually have something on our website that you might want to look up. Uh, if you want to follow along today or even look up after the show uh, some paperwork that might help you determine where you are in your reality living, you can find that at uh, marriageteam.org. And you can also find other information on that website about marriage coaching and what that's all about because that's what Marriage Team is. It's a coaching organization.
2: And that uh, paper that Autumn talked about will be posted for tomorrow. It isn't up there right now. so
1: We had talked about Four myths, that's four falsehoods, four lies that people live by and how it might affect their marriage relationships. So just to review that, these are uh, written in a book called Desperate Marriages by Dr. Gary Chapman, wonderful author, also did five love languages books. So the four myths, my environment determines my state of mind, people cannot change, in a difficult marriage, I have only two options resigning myself to a life of misery or getting out of it and the last myth some situations are hopeless and mine's one of those so if you're living by any of those myths there's hope for you you can change you can escape isn't it amazing you're the one that has the power over that so now look let's look at some truths reject those myths let's believe the truths that we're going to talk about next what's the first one alan
2: well the first truth is i am responsible for my own attitude and it sounds pretty straightforward, but when we think about it, we do let uh, our environments, I let my environment many times affect my attitude, and I have to check it. It's, I think it's natural that we do that, but I need to tell myself that I am responsible for my attitude. Life will deal me traffic jams. It will deal me uh, misfortunes, sickness, unexplained uh, tragedies. And it is I that choose how I'm going to respond to them.
1: And you may even be married to someone who doesn't meet all your needs. Can you imagine that? Someone who doesn't meet all your needs?
2: Well, we all have a lot of needs, and I think that's probably the norm.
1: (laughs) We see it all the time, people that come in and think that this person they married should be everything perfect. And certainly none of us are. We could never live up to that. So it's not the other person that's responsible for your attitude. They don't make you sad. They don't make you depressed. Their actions are not the cause of your feeling the way you are. You are. You're responsible for that.
2: You get to choose. And let's just take a, uh, an example that might help bring this to, uh, life. Um, you're electri- you know, you're out of work. Uh, your electricity has been turned off and, uh, you know, you're really struggling right now.
1: Because they failed to pay a bill? Is because that, you failed, oh. failed
2: to pay a bill. Um, so the one view of that is this is horrible. We don't have any TV. and We have nothing to do at night. I couldn't be more miserable. And if you tell yourself that, that is the way you will feel. On, this, on the other hand, uh, a person could look at it and say, this is great. We talk together more in the evening. We go to bed earlier, so we're better rested. And um, we just... We feel better about ourselves. You know, it must have been nice to live back in those days when you didn't have all these electronic things and you got a good night's sleep. (laughs) So you see how it's what we tell ourselves. It's our self-talk that really controls how we're going to end up feeling about a situation.
1: You know, attitude is really an interesting thing. I see a lot of people. In fact, I just saw somebody, a a parent in a grocery store this morning. There was a little three-year-old girl who was like sitting on the floor and she didn't want to move. And and her mom says to her, well, we're not going to go swimming if you don't change your attitude. And I thought, how difficult is it for a little three-year-old to change her attitude? How difficult is it for us as adults to change our attitude? And yet what do we teach people our children, even when they're very young, we don't teach them how to. We just say, change your attitude. Right. And what did the mother really want? She wanted behavior change. Right. I believe
2: she wanted her daughter to get her little butt off the the floor and walk with her where she wanted her to go. And that's easy to do, relatively speaking.
1: Right. So if you'd said, this is what I want you to do is get up off the floor and You know, follow me. It might have been easier to do than say change your attitude.
2: Well, when somebody says change your attitude, you think, how do I do? What what is my attitude now? I mean, it's nebulous. It's it's not concrete. It's it's squishy.
1: Well, that's kind of what I was thinking, though. If if as parents we raised our children with the idea of moderating our attitude and thinking about, well, what is my attitude? Oh, and I'm responsible for that, so I can say I choose. To be happy, I choose joy, I choose to be satisfied, I choose to look at the other side of this particular situation that I'm in instead of the negative situation that I'm in. Even as parents, if we taught our kids how to change our attitudes, we could have different kinds of adults.
2: Right, and it does come down to the Mm self-talk and what you're thinking and telling yourself about the situation. So it isn't that hard to be responsible for your
1: attitude. It. So what makes it so difficult? I mean, you you don't think it, you say it, it's not too hard, but I know a lot of people that come to us with marital problems and the first 15 sentences out of their mouth are, if my spouse would do this or she does this or he does this and they won't change and they're not sorry and they're what? not remorseful. And
2: Well, let me explain what I meant. Okay. It, is, it is hard, but it is simple. The concept oh. is, you know, all you have to do is tell yourself something differently about the situation you're experiencing, look at it from somebody else's eyes, and when you do that, you can you can affect your attitude by what you're telling yourself about that. Now, is it hard to do? Yes, it's hard to do. But if you were to take that step, it would be immensely easier because you wouldn't be feeding that that negative uh, those negative thoughts which create your attitude
1: so what I think I hear you saying is that the very first step in being responsible for your own attitude in making choices about your own attitude is to take your thoughts captive right to to take control over what you're thinking
2: And in an early conversation as we talked about this you made a comment that you know when when you're in a bad mood when your attitude's starting to get bad you turn on music that you enjoy and it uplifts your spirits. So there are actions that you can take that will help you to to reframe your thinking and get positive focused as opposed to negative focused.
1: You just have to be keyed in to when you begin to feeling negative. You can s- use some kind of magic word: stop, wait. I have control. Uh-huh, I'm. I have the power. <laughs> or whatever it is that that you need to say to yourself.
2: Right. So. I am responsible for my own attitude. You can take those actions, and you can start to change your attitude. And as you as you change your attitude, it makes it easier for your behaviors to f- to fall in line with what's going to be in your best long term interests. Now, the the next principle is my attitude affects my actions. Now, that is in fact what often happens. Um, if you have a bad attitude then it is going to be much easier to follow through with actions that, are, that support that attitude.
1: Right, like my little three-year-old who was sitting on the floor stubbornly refusing to follow her mother. She wasn't feeling happy, so she was going to behave badly.
2: Correct. And, and it just plays out that way. So the
1: Well, it does. It plays out that way in our own marriages. If we're not feeling happy, we're going to behave badly
2: well in not only marriages but all our relationships if we get mad at a coworker if we get mad at at our kids you know we treat them differently and and we allow ourselves to do it and we justify it by um by their behavior and not taking responsibility for our attitude and our behaviors so when we have a positive attitude we look for opportunities to build people up to make things better to help out conversely with that negative attitude we find ourselves tearing others down being critical, and feeling depressed.
1: So just listening to those words, feeling critical, being depressed, or feeling happy, being productive, I mean, which would you rather have in your life? Of course, I would rather have the feeling productive, feeling happier. And when you tell me that it's my responsibility, I have the power to change that. I really like that. I don't have to depend on someone else.
2: Well, in in what goes right along with that, I mean, we have the power. But think about it from a personal perspective: Who would you seek out as a friend—somebody that had a bad attitude or a good attitude and was uplifting and positive? Who would you want to have as your boss mm-hmm. or your supervisor? And for those of you who might be supervising other people out there, who would your people prefer to have as a supervisor? And how might they respond differently if the attitude? Um, uh, if your attitude didn't affect your actions in a negative way.
1: And I've, who would you like to have for a teammate or a spouse?
2: Right. And we have our responsibilities for being a good teammate or a good spouse. So we've talked about the first two and uh, those where I am responsible for my own attitude and my attitude affects my actions. So, those are the first two principles for reality living that Dr. Gary Chapman talks about in his book Desperate Marriages. You're listening to Marriage Team. I'm Coach Al, and I'm here with Coach Autumn. And uh, we'll be coming back after break with the remaining four principles.
0: Now, more of the Marriage Team. Coaches Al and Autumn Ray on KPM 860.
1: Coming back after break, you're joining Marriage Team. You're here with marriage coaches. I'm Autumn, and I'm here with my husband, Alan. And today we're talking about your reality living. You don't even have to be on a TV show to have your own reality living. Looking at a book by Dr. Gary Chapman called Desperate Marriages, because Marriage Team, you would think, focuses on marriage relationships. We talked about some lies that people believe in their marriage relationships, but then we moved on to the truths. Let's reject the myths. And look at the truths. Two truths we looked at. I am responsible for my own attitude and my attitude affects my actions. Stop and think about that. You'll realize that your attitude does affect your actions and that you're the only one responsible for your own attitude, not your situation, not your environment, and not the person you're married to. So, Alan, what's another truth principle?
2: Well, this is a really important one because we hear it all the time. Well, I can't change them, um, so, you know, I can't do anything about it. The reality and the truth is you are right. You can't change another person, but you can influence them to change. So the truth of it is the only person you can change is yourself. But when you change yourself, you influence the situation and you create an environment that encourages change uh, with your teammate.
1: So you mean as your teammate watches you evolve into a different person, perhaps a kinder, less impatient, less of a spendthrift, um, spending more time with the family, less critical person, if your teammate is watching you become a different person, that will influence the way they respond to you.
2: Sure, and let's give an example. If I were to come home and I were to say to you "Um, what have you been doing all day where's my dinner and uh, you know I come home and it's never ready when I walk in you know you would respond in a way that's probably different than if I came home and said hey honey it's good to be home how was your day so I can't change what you do but I can change how I treat you and when I create a more positive environment it makes it easier for you to respond in a positive way. It makes it almost invites you to respond
1: in a positive way. So that behavior will influence, can influence. We don't make any guarantees that it will influence someone, but it can influence someone. Right. So as you said that, I was thinking conversely, the spouse that's home and hears those words, where's my dinner, you never have it on time, has a choice
2: absolutely on how
1: to respond. So one response might be, You know, you always come home so critical. You know, you're lucky I make dinner at all for you versus I have a choice. I can respond in a different way. Boy, you must have had a really difficult day at work. I bet you're really hungry. I'll get dinner as soon as possible. How about if we do it together? Or, um, gee, I'm
2: sorry, I wasn't expecting you now and I'd be happy to get dinner. So what would you like? Or I mean, any Any variation, any
1: variation on it, on a different approach. Right. So how difficult is it? For people to behave differently.
2: Well, I mean, it's it's just like we said before. It's really easy in concept because it's just you choose what words and how you're going to respond. It's difficult because that spouse will push your buttons with their approach and you respond in kind because you do believe that your environment determines your state of mind, that old lie, that the, the lie, and you don't realize that you are responsible for your attitude and your actions and how you respond.
1: And you can respond differently. And you can respond differently. But the thing that we found, Alan, is that if you begin to respond differently, like it's a baby step, oh, I'm going to respond differently this time. The next time it gets easier.
2: It does get easier.
1: And then if you do it again and again and again, you begin that transformation process that makes you a different person. Right. And it's, it is fulfilling
2: and rewarding to know that you're taking control of the things that you can take control of.
1: Oh, that is so true. It is absolutely depressing and helpless to feel like you have no control.
2: Right. And that you're, and you respond to whatever, but what somebody else says, the victim, and you're always chasing what they do. And you're always worried about what they're going to say and how you're going to, how it's going to impact you. When you can can choose something differently i mean it's it, it just makes you feel better
1: i know at the end of the day i always say this at the end of the day i've got to look in the mirror i've got to see who's looking back at me do i like that person or do i dislike that person if i dislike that person <laughs> how does the people person i'm married to feel about me or how do people around me feel about me
2: right and and It's interesting because we were talking about I cannot change others, but I can influence others. And you can make that choice. And that's really tied very closely to the next um, truth, truth, which is my emotions do not control my action. Because, unfortunately, we allow our emotions to control our action.
1: Talk a little bit about emotions. What do you mean when you say our emotions? Well, our feelings.
2: Okay. So
1: So if I'm feeling hurt or I'm feeling embarrassed, maybe I'm feeling belittled. (laughs) Maybe I'm feeling uncared for or that feeling of depression. Those are all emotions that can, they do not have to, but they can control my action.
2: Oh, and it's very easy to to have them do that because that's what you're feeling and that's the normal response. You almost have to step out of that feeling and make your choice. But you do it all the time. If you're a worker and your boss says something critical that, hurts your feelings or embarrasses you or belittles you uh, or makes you think that they don't respect you, you bite your tongue and you don't tell your boss probably what you're thinking. Well, for the most part. For the most part. (laughs) I mean, you may, but then you may be looking for new employment. So the next time it happens, you're much more likely to be careful in the words and in your response.
1: Unless you're a slow learner.
2: (laughs) Unless you're a slow learner. And then you're going to be a very poor learner as
1: well. (laughs) Because you're going to be out of a job a lot of the time. But,
2: But the point is that when you understand the consequences of making bad choices, you tailor your choices, you make better choices because you understand the consequences. The sad thing is we do it in the work environment on a much more regular basis than we do it in our home environment because we feel safe in our home environment and we don't perceive the same consequences. But for those people that we have coached that are going through divorce and have spent several thousand dollars on lawyers, it can be costly uh, to allow your emotions to run wild and to not take control uh, just the way you might do in your own work environment.
1: So rather than letting your emotions control you, how do you take those emotions captive? Well, um, again, I think it's choice it's, and recognizing that you have a choice.
2: Right. And it's asking yourself, is it in my long-term best interest? You know, what are the implications of doing it the way I would might feel good? but aren't going to work well, in you know? the
1: Well, because you really don't feel good. I think that's a myth too. If you say, well, if I respond in this way, if I respond in anger or if I demand an apology and that will make me feel better in, in reality, talking about reality living, it doesn't make you feel better.
2: No, no, it doesn't. I mean, cause you feel trapped. You feel a victim. You feel like you were manipulated, used. You don't like the results. You, you remain mad and angry and, uh, And it just is a continuing process. I mean, we've even experienced it in our lives. It's almost a situation where you go, here we go again. You know it's very predictable and how things are going to go, and and you know you're not going to like the result.
1: Right, but then I really like it when we have a new play that we put in place that says, wait a minute, we think we're going down the same path that we've been down before. We don't have to do that. We have a different place to go. You know, the other thing about that particular truth my emotions do not control my action. I was thinking about, as parents, how we tend to overlook what's going on with our little people in the house and how we expect them to behave differently when we don't behave differently. The little people in our house, their emotions are controlling their actions, just like the adults in the home. And it doesn't need to be that way. The adults should engage their adult brains and pay attention uh, to what those emotions are.
2: Right. I mean, we don't expect our children to have adult brains, but at least some people in the house should have adult right. brains. To so engage. thinking
1: about overcoming that, I think maybe one of the first things to do would be to uh, recognize what that emotion is so that you can logically say, oh, I'm feeling hurt or I'm embarrassed or I don't feel cared for right now. And that what's that's what's causing me to act in a certain way but I can take responsible for the responsibility for those feelings and choose to act a different way.
2: Right. Boy, and that's, that's so empowering. So we've covered now the first four principles of reality living, and when we come back from break, we'll be covering the last two and talking to you about how you uh, can get involved uh, with these principles.
1: Don't you already feel empowered?
0: Marriage Team. It's Coaches Al and Autumn Ray on KPM 860.
2: Hello, you're listening to Marriage Team, and I'm Coach Al, and I'm here with Coach Autumn uh, for this afternoon. I wanted to talk to you just a moment about how you could get involved uh, being a marriage coach. Uh, we do trainings in the spring and fall, and for couples who are interested in becoming a coach couple and using the faith-based materials and the principles that we've been talking about this very day, uh you can give us a call at three six zero four five zero four zero six two. That's three six zero four five zero four zero six two or go online at marriage dot org and right on the home page it talks to you about the training opportunities to become a coach couple. So wanted to just uh let you know that you too can um uh, share in the joy of helping another couple and we have uh over eighty-eight couples that are currently serving as coaches uh in the Northwest and would love to add you to the team as well.
1: Now it's my understanding that the training has scholarships available with it. Is that what I've heard?
2: Yes. Uh as a matter of fact it does. Our our donors have provided opportunities for a limited number of uh of scholarships and uh we therefore we are able to offer until the training's full uh free training Uh, So that's 24 hours of free training that uh, not only enables you to help another couple, but uh, will strengthen your own relationship as well.
1: Okay, so let's go back to our topic for today, reality living, where we live in our real life, couples that we are married. And we're talking about a book that Dr. Gary Chapman wrote, Desperate Marriages, and how he talks about some myths that people believe and how that affects the way they relate uh, to their spouses, but also then the truths. Uh, That people can believe and take power and control over their own relationships so that they can change uh, a a poor marriage, a desperate marriage into a good marriage.
2: Right. So the fifth the fifth truth that we're uh, talking about principle for reality living is admitting my imperfections does not mean that I am a failure. And boy, that is sometimes hard to do.
1: It's really hard for guys, I think, much more than women. At least that's what I've noticed.
2: Yeah, and I, and I admit it's hard for me because um, we don't like to admit that we're a failure. I don't like to admit that I'm a failure. And it just seems like when I do that, it carries over to mean much more than it really means. But That was interesting that you said
1: that. Did you hear what you said?
2: I did say. I I did yeah. I didn't say I admit my imperfections. I said I admit that I'm a failure. Bingo. Because that's how I often think and tell myself. So if I mess up, if I have an imperfection, I view it as I failed to live up to what I should be doing. And, you know, that's my own self-talk. But in reality, the reality of it is we all have we are all self-centered. We all care about our own feelings and emotions before we care about somebody else's. And um, when we act in our self-interest versus our teammate self-interest, it means we're apt to hurt them. So that would be a failure on my part, but that does not mean that I am personally a failure. I am very successful in a whole bunch of things in life. And just because I screw up in one does not mean that I'm a personal failure. So we need to take, uh, encouragement from the fact that this principle is the truth. Admitting that you made a mistake does not mean that you're a failure.
1: Now, do you mean admitting that you make a mistake to yourself or is it important that you admit your mistakes to your teammate? I think,
2: and I believe what Gary Chapman's talking about is it's important to admit it not only to yourself, but also to your teammate. Because unfortunately our teammates are not mind readers. And if we act like we have a haughty attitude and better than thou and everything, that's the behavior that our teammate is going to see and it's not going to be creating that environment that is going to influence change but think about it when somebody says hey I'm sorry I made a mistake you know it takes it takes the edge out you don't want to attack you don't want to have to prove yourself it creates an environment like we talked about in the earlier principle where you can influence positive change so it is very powerful in admitting your imperfections and realizing that you can do that without being a failure
1: so why do you think people have such a difficult time admitting their imperfections?
2: Well, I think it comes down to is that we we tend to keep score and we say, well, she is worse than I am. I did this, but she did this, this and this. And of course, we don't see the this, this and this that we did because we're not looking at it from our teammates perspective. But we tend to keep score and therefore we tend to put ourselves in a, in a favorite light. So we want the other person to admit more than we're willing to admit, um, and take more responsibility.
1: So I think what you're saying is it's really important to be a little introspective. Maybe take some quiet time and sit down and say to yourself, gosh, you know, what do I do? What's my behavior? What's my attitude? What are my imperfections that are affecting this relationship? And how do I admit them openly to the person that I'm married to?
2: Right. And, You ought to understand that one person probably has a few more than the other in this, in any particular situation where they may have been a little bit more egregious in their behavior, but you screwed up too. You did something that contributed to it. So when you just own your little part, it makes it easier for your spouse and teammate to own their part which is really what it's all about creating that positive environment for change.
1: And you know, the irony behind that is when you begin to admit those imperfections to each other, that creates intimacy.
2: That that creates intimacy. Go ahead.
1: That just creates intimacy in the relationship. When you open yourself up to sharing imperfections about yourself.
2: Right. And it invites the other person to do the same. It's very, very uh, empowering and encouraging. So, so we have one more, if we, I remember correctly. Right. And the, the, the sixth and final one is that love is the most powerful force for good in the world. And uh, let me define that because I think our society has a different perception of what love is. Love is a commitment. It's a decision. It isn't a feeling good about somebody because we may not feel good about, about a person, but we can still show by our behavior and our action that we care for them.
1: Would another word be compassion? Could you use the word compassion? Sure. Is the most powerful force for good in the world? The only reason I say that, Alan, is because you know I have this hang up on the word love. People just misconstrue it so much in our society. And love, to most people, means that infatuation feeling uh, when you're in the dating stage or, uh, you know what I mean, that that kind of everything's perfect feeling.
2: Right, right. And and we confuse that.
1: And, and people can define it and change the say it's a commitment. But I still think that it has that connotation. So I don't know. I kind of like the word compassion. Well,
2: and we choose to we choose to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. We choose to uh, show empathy. We choose to come alongside to help somebody out. I mean, there are a lot of times when well, I notice you. Autumn, there are a lot of times when you're tired, but one of the kids will have a request or something, and you'll go out of your way to, to meet that request or to meet that need. So you show compassion. You put their needs above your immediate need to be a good mom, a good grandmother.
1: I think that's why I like the word compassion better than love in these situations, because compassion seems to be other-oriented, and love, people construe to be, oh, I need to be loved, or I need to feel love. Right. So the important
2: thing is here, love or compassion is a choice. It's not a feeling because even when you don't feel like it, again, you can choose your behavior. You can choose your attitude. You may not feel like it, but you choose to do, to take the high road, to do what is in your long-term best interest.
1: So always thinking of the other person or putting other people first is kind of what you're saying is the most powerful force for good in the world.
2: That is uh, what uh, Dr. Gary Chapman says is the most powerful force. And he says it's the basic, uh, humanity's basic, deepest uh, emotional need is to have that feeling where somebody really cares about me as a person.
1: And if you give that care to another person, it makes it. Again, it's that ironic thing that occurs. You feel better.
2: You feel better, and you create the environment which is influencing them to go ahead and change.
1: These were great. Uh, Principles, Alan, that we shared today—I really got excited about taking some control and some power.
2: Right, and it's the the principles we would challenge you this week to take one or more of these principles and to implement them into your relationship and see what kind of positive change you can have. And you could let us know—we'd love to hear those stories. Uh, you can send us an email at info at dot org. We'd love to hear about your successes. You too can have a winning marriage. Until next week this is Coach Allen Coach Otto